Last week, we had the opportunity as Holy Trinity to go to a local care home and sing Christmas carols. And it was a, another first for us, and I'm guessing it was more of a blessing for us than it was for them, perhaps. <laughs> Although, towards the end, at the end of our set, they, we took requests. And the one request that we got, somebody wanted to hear the carol, What Child Is This? And I won't sing it for you, and you'll be thankful. But the opening verse, if you will, says, What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. And I think that's a really appropriate question that helps frame what we've been in the midst of in this time so far as lessons and carols. The readings that we've heard, the carols that we've sung, it really raises the question, or that carol encapsulates it well. What child is this? Why are we making such a big deal about this baby born in Bethlehem? Why are we celebrating his birth and have been for two millennia throughout the world? What child is this? And again, the lessons give us the reason why we do such celebration, why we do more than celebration, why we worship, why we renew ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, examine my heart. Lord, help me understand more of who you are. We're in the season of Advent, which is a time of reflection. It's also a time of, of penitence, of saying, Lord, I want to be really serious with you. I mean, look at what's going on in my life, and would you point out things that still need to be surrendered, habits that need to be shed, uh, honest discussions with myself about things that I like that don't, don't um, please you. Advent is that time of preparation, preparation for his coming. And so we're in the middle of that. But the, these lessons and carols bring us to the central point of our worship and celebration, the coming of Christ as an infant. So the first reading that that Alyssa read, that Genesis, begins with the bad news. I don't know, when somebody asks you, do you want to hear the good news first or the bad news, what do you say? Okay. Well, if you say bad news, you're, you're more scriptural because <laughs> that's actually how we start here. It starts with the bad news, and it really is bad news. It is, if you think of that Genesis reading where, where Christ, is Christ where, where God is, is confronting, literally confronting both Adam and Eve as well as the serpent. It's this, if you've ever walked in on an argument or a confrontation, you think, this is the last place I really want to be right now. But that's, that's what the author of Genesis is bringing us into, to that place, and to hear what the Lord is saying to Adam and Eve. And it is essentially this. It is to say that you have had, you, you have been existing in a world that I created, a world out of my love for you, and you bear my image. And it is a world that relies on connection and relies on trust in me. And somehow, because of what the serpent did, you found, you thought that there was something other than me, other than my word, other than my provision that you wanted to explore and you wanted to rely on. And that has created a separation between us. And at the same time, he speaks to the serpent because he knows it is the serpent who is really at fault behind this. 
and he speaks to the serpent's demise. The serpent will not have free reign forever. And so it is a con confrontation both with his very good creation, our first grandparents, and with Satan, the enemy of our lives, and the one who is always against who God is. And so you know how the rest of it goes. They're no longer able to be in this wonderful, marvelous world of God's presence. They are cast out, if you will. And they go into a world that is so distant from God that it's known more by its, by its tentativeness, by its corruption, if you will, corruption of what is natural law and and the way that the world works, and it's subject to destruction and death for the first time and decay. It's not a place that Adam and Eve would ever have selected if they'd known. And, it's, and yet, there they are. It's not a world that they were ever intended to be in. And yet, that's where they find themselves. And it is a world that we, as their descendants, have only known. This is all we know. We have the promise of the kingdom of heaven and the future with him. And that's what this story starts to unpack. As we go, as you recall the lessons, God is, God is now on a rescue mission. He's not content to leave the people that he loves out in this place of hostility. He wants to bring them back into connection with him. And so first he creates a people. He looks for faithful people. We heard about Abraham and Abraham responds in faith to the really hard instructions that God gives him. And God says, out of that will come the blessing of you being a people formed around, I will build a form of people around your faithfulness and around the covenant that I will make with you. But you know how that goes. That is at best is uneven. The nation of Israel is still torn, torn between Yahweh, the God that has been showing himself, revealing himself through the word and the, uh, the Torah, the prophets, and through his amazing provision, his freedom from slavery. And yet they go into the promised land and they're still enticed by the gods around them. They're still enticed by the things that the world of that age, which hasn't changed much in this age, says is important. The wealth, the power, the I'm better than you are. Those are the values that have been an aspect of this distance from God, of this sin-filled world that they were put into out of their own choice and that we are, have always been in. But God is on a rescue mission. And then we get to Isaiah, and Isaiah announces that this is part of the rescue mission. The actual rescue mission is that God himself will come down in flesh as a baby, as a child born, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. A child, a baby, but kingly regal language, powerful language is being used of this infant. What do we make of that? We make of it this, that God's rescue is to bring the king whose throne, whose rule, whose reign will be established and who no effort of Satan can undo or thwart or ever again. And he will come, though, in the way that we are. He will come as part of the very good creation. We heard about the incarnation. The incarnation is a wonderful theological term that says God is, Jesus is fully divine. He is born of the Holy Spirit. We heard that. He is fully human. He is born of the Virgin Mary. 
And in that amazing work of God, he is able to understand who we are. He's able to experience what we experience. He's able to experience the decay and the destruction and even the death. In fact, in order to experience death, he had to be human. To be the king that we need, he had to be the human that we are. And so he comes the way all of us came, as an infant, born in a place, um, in his case, of not much regard, born into a hostile world, born as an infant in great vulnerability, totally dependent on the help of other people, his parents, totally dependent on God himself to move him out of harm's way and into Egypt. When Herod, who didn't want to honor the king of the Jews, went to kill him. God's rescue plan starts with Jesus. God's rescue plan has started indeed. He is the king. His kingdom has, has come, but his kingdom is not in its fulfillment. We're in the already and not yet phase. And so how do you respond? What, it'd be, be great if we had more time, which we don't, but later on we'll be over there having some wonderful snacks. Maybe part of that conversation is, how do we, what was your response to any of the readings that you heard? It's so interesting to look at the responses I mentioned of Abraham, but look at Mary's. When God sends his angel Gabriel to her to what's called the Annunciation to announce that she is favored and she will bear a child by the power of the Holy Spirit, her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the shepherds who are freezing, watching their flocks by night, I think the, you know, the, the carols don't really do justice to the experience of the shepherds very well. But the heavenly host appears to them and suddenly their normal evening routine is totally transformed. And they, what is their response? We are going to Bethlehem. We are hustling to Bethlehem. We are, we're getting there as fast as we can. And the magi who see the star immediately follow it. When God is, is moving in our lives, our best move is to respond to his movement. And John gives us the opportunity to do that. John says that, that Jesus came to that which was his own, meaning the Jews of, the, of his time, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, but born of God. So there is a sense that he comes as king, but he also comes inviting us into his family. For those of us in his, if you're not in his family, or you think you've kind of taken a holiday, or you want to change your odds about stuff, I pray that this opportunity that we've just all the ways that he has arrayed things so that we could be back with him would speak to your heart. There can be no higher privilege than being in his kingdom. There can be no greater call than being to bear his family name. But for those of us who are in the family, what is that message for us? What is our response? And I would say that the language of kingship that Isaiah says, when Isaiah says he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. 
These are all ways that God was described and now they're being applied to Christ and now we can apply our hearts and our lives and give them over to him and whatever aspect of that would be, we would be blessed by. Some of us in, are more aware, keenly aware of what's going on in this hostile world. Maybe you're feeling a particular aspect of it, a particular sting. Know then that he is the mighty God, that there is no power greater than he is. There's no weapon that will be formed against us that will prosper. He is the mighty God. He's also the Prince of Peace. So often what hurts us and plagues us and what keeps us up at night and what causes us to have questions is the relational, is the relational discord and disharmony that is so close to us. It's in our families. It's with some of our neighbors, our colleagues. It's, it's those things. And we say, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. Help me understand how I can be the embodiment of your peace in this time. It starts with you, Lord, to be, to, if, if I know more of how you are the peace in my life, I can just be a vessel of that to those around us. Maybe you need to hear that in this dark world that Jesus is light. John's gospel that he read said, in him was the life and that life was the light of mankind. Jesus is the life, but that life is the light that we need. There are many places in this world and that we can consider dark, but know that he is the light. Know that he will shine on what needs to be revealed. He will point out things that we need to see. He may show us in the process some things that we would prefer to keep dark, but that light is what we need, and the light is what draws us to him. Finally, in the world that has confusion, and all kinds of questions. Isaiah calls him a wonderful counselor. One who shows us the way. One that when we don't know what to do, he will show us what the next wise step is. The next godly thing. The next thing that honors him. The next thing that says, Jesus, you do rule and reign in this world. And I am wanting so much to be more of a part of it than I already am. He is a wonderful counselor. So let's return to the question. What child is this? He is God himself. As the church some of us used to attend, the pastor would say he's a God wrapped up in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who came as a vulnerable, utterly dependent baby into a hostile world, but not just to experience it with us, but to do something about it. It's the fundamental reason to change it, to say the world that we are in is not the world that we are actually meant to be in, nor will it be the world that we will be in forever if we would just receive his offer, if we would just connect with him in that deep and abiding way. He will do what we cannot do for ourselves because of our inherent human vulnerability. He will take away sin by his death and by his resurrection, he will point to our hope by our future. We are always vulnerable until we receive his rescue. So let me conclude. As our hearts are drawn to the question, what child is this? May they also be drawn to the response that's actually in the carol. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. And the next verse is this. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh, Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. 
To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.